Hi, and welcome to the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's reading is uh, just in the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy chapter 13 through chapter 15. Once again, that's Deuteronomy 13, 14, and 15. And you know how this works. If you've not read the Word of God for yourself, if you've not read these chapters, hit pause, go back and read them, listening to what God would say to you through His Word, and then come back and listen to what I've got to say. But if you've already read those passages, then let's get started. Okay, so let's look at Deuteronomy 13. What this chapter is about is uh, what is to be done with the individual or individuals that entices others to uh, turn away from the Lord and worship other idols or, you know, for the New Testament believer to go off into sin, to go off into disobedience um, and away from obedience and an enjoyable relationship with the Lord. What is to be done with that person? Uh, and uh, the last part of verse uh, chapter 13 is is not just what is to be done with the person who entices others to, to not follow the Lord and to go after something else, but what is to be done with those who willingly comply, those who go along with it. So let's go back and look. And I, I want to draw a New Testament uh, truth into this because it, it doesn't do us any good just to familiarize ourselves with what's going on in the Old Testament unless we see the benefit to us in the New Testament. So let me share that with you. In verses 1 through 5, uh, the um, it's, it's stated that if someone claims to be a prophet, and they make predictions, they make prophecies, they say that certain things are going to happen, and those things actually do happen. Well, generally, you would say, well, this person may be speaking on behalf of the Lord because they said something was going to happen. There's no way they could have known the future unless the Lord revealed it to them. Therefore, they said it was going to happen, and it did happen. Therefore, they must be speaking on behalf of the Lord. Well, in uh, verses 1 through 5, we hear that if even if that happens, if someone uh, gives a prediction, it does come to, to happen, but... That person that seems to be speaking on behalf of the Lord, if that person draws the people of Israel away to serve other gods and away from the, the, the Lord, they are to be killed. That's right, not just punished, they are to be killed. In the Old Testament, it was a death sentence. Listen to chapter 13, verse 5. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against the Lord your God. He's to be put to death because he's urged rebellion against the Lord your God. And uh, why is why does the Lord have every reason uh, to expect allegiance and obedience to him? Well, he continues in verse 5. He has urged rebellion against the Lord your God, here it is, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. So the Israelites were to obey the Lord their God because they were indebted to him. 
Because the Lord is the one who brought them out of slavery and redeemed them from Egypt, brought them out from Egypt and called them to himself. Therefore, the Lord essentially owns them. They belong to him. For a New Testament believer, why do we uh, obey the Lord? Because he brought us out of our Egypt, out of our place of slavery. And what was that? We were enslaved to sin. Before we were saved, we were enslaved to sin. The lost uh, world system, uh, Satan himself, was, as it were, Pharaoh over Egypt. And in our lost condition, we were enslaved to sin. And yet God saved us and brought us out of that and gave us a new birth and forgave us and declared us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, because God has redeemed us out of sinful slavery, out of a lostness, Therefore, we are to obey him. And so anyone that would entice someone else to follow anything other than the Lord, call them away from serving the Lord to something else, in the Old Testament was to be killed. Now, where, where do we see something to this effect in the New Testament? Listen to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. This is Jesus talking. Mark 9, 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones, now little ones, Jesus uh, had some children and he was talking about uh, that in order to enter the kingdom, you have to trust like one of these little children. And so it's a childlike faith that brings us into the kingdom. But as Jesus continues the analogy, he's now talking of believers as little ones, right? We are trusting in the Lord. We are resting in him. We are to have a childlike faith, just simply resting in him, trusting in him. And so when he says little ones, he's talking about a believer. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, you know, whoever would entice someone away from the Lord and into sin, it would be better for him, Jesus said, if a heavy millstone What's a millstone? A millstone is that big, like, rock that, uh, that would be used to grind wheat under it as, as a, a donkey or an animal would, would be tied to it and then would walk in circles. And that millstone would just, it's so heavy and it would grind the grain under it. He said it would be better if you entice someone away from the Lord into sin. It would be better for that person if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. <laughs> so in the New Testament, we don't see active death. Like the Old Testament, they were commanded to kill a prophet that enticed them away from the Lord. But in the New Testament, death still shows up. And Jesus said it would be better if you were dead. It would be better if someone were to drown you than for you to cause someone who is a believer to fall away from the Lord and to go into sin because of your speech, because of your actions. Christian, I'm telling you, we are to be very, very, very careful. Our walk with the Lord is not just about ourselves; It is also about others that are watching. And if we claim that we're saved and yet we're not living seriously for the Lord and others see us and maybe they, they look up to us and they see us not taking our walk with the Lord seriously and therefore they are enticed not to take the Lord seriously... That's a very, very serious matter that we will be held accountable for. In the Old Testament, they were to be actively killed. 
in the New Testament, Jesus said it'd be better if you were dead than to cause someone to stumble into sin. Friend, I'm telling you, this is so serious. Pursue holiness. One, because the Lord is worthy of it and he saved you. But pursue holiness also because of yourself, because it's a means of blessing and a means of grace and a means of living with a clear conscience and all of these wonderful things that come about as we obey the Lord, but also pursue the Lord for those that are watching you, many of which you don't even know about. Whenever we get to verses 6 through 11 in Deuteronomy 13, uh, we realize that even if it's a family member, or a friend who entices you away from the Lord in the Old Testament, they were to be killed. They were to be killed. Um, in the New Testament, once again, there's no active killing, but Jesus said it would be better if you were dead than if you were to entice someone away from holiness. Friends, once again, holiness is not a private matter. It is something that you owe to the Lord because of his goodness to you, specifically in saving you. It's something that's a means of blessing to you, but it also is about other people too, as they watch us and they see if we really, really believe what we say we believe. And, and they will know that we believe it whenever it's affecting how we act and how we talk. In verses 12 through 18, uh, here we read about not just those that are enticing others away from sin, but in verses 12 through 18, the possibility that there could be a whole town, a whole city that would willingly go away from the Lord. They would fall away from the Lord and follow the advice of someone who was enticing them away from the Lord then this wasn't to be a reckless thing. Once again, in the Old Testament, death sentences. In the New Testament, it's different, but in the Old Testament, it was death sentences. But uh, it wasn't to be reckless. They weren't just to go in and, and just wipe them out. In verses uh, 14 through 15, it says, if the report turns out to be true, what we read about is that it was to be investigated, thoroughly investigated to see if this was true, because it's quite possible to hear things about others that are not true. And so there was to be no reckless uh, knee-jerk reaction. They were to investigate it to see if, in fact, a whole town had turned away from the Lord. Verse 14, if the report turns out to be true that this detestable act has been done among you, you must strike down the inhabitants of that city with the sword, completely destroy everyone in it, as well as its livestock with the sword. Friend, this is the Old Testament. This is not the New Testament. These are not the rules we live by. This was a theocracy as God was ruling over these people. And these were rules that God gave to those people. But we can see the seriousness because God has not changed. The way it applies to us has changed, but God has not changed. And the God who is furious with those who would pull people away from him still gets furious. Do not, do not, do not in any way encourage anyone actively or passively to fall away from the Lord. Okay, so we get to Deuteronomy 14, and in verses 1 and 2, we have a prohibition of cutting and making bald spots on uh, someone's head. And we might wonder, what in the world is that all about? Well, it seems as if that these were uh, the pagan practices of the Canaanites who were in the land before the Israelites went in to take them out. 
these were the practices that they had. And uh, some have even speculated, some have even said that this was the practice that they had to demonstrate that they were grieving or they were in a time of mourning. So the Lord said, I don't want you to learn that from them. And, and uh, really, I think that this is more than just these two practices. I think that this is just an illustration or, you know, just something specific that paints a broader stroke where the Lord is saying, I don't want you to learn. I don't want you to learn from the pagan culture. I don't want you to look at them and find out how they do things and then do it that way. I don't want you to be a student of the culture. I want you to be a student of my word. I don't want you to, to grab their things and carry on their sins and carry on their practices to honor them essentially. Instead, I want you to be a student of my word to obey it. Now, there's a word of caution that we need to make. That in the New Testament, we and in the Old Testament, they were to invite the resident alien. They were the 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 worship of the one true God was not something that was strictly limited to the Israelites. It was primarily the Israelites, but others were welcomed in uh, to that. But in the New Testament, uh, it is all about the Gentiles. It is all about the Gentiles, and we have the message of the gospel. We have the message, the good news of God's word, and so. Um, how is it that we do that? Well, I'm telling you that there are some Christian cultures that, that get stuck in uh, a way that things were done 40, 50 years ago, and they assume that that's where it needs to stay. That's the way people need to dress. That's the way people need to talk. That's the way they need to pray. They're stuck back, you know, a, a generation or two ago. Um, I, I don't think that's helpful uh, because while that may create a little bit of a comfort zone within them that they're trying to keep something from changing because people don't like change, right? Even though we're all changing, people don't like change. And so they try to hold things. And yet that culture prohibits us from speaking the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God to a younger group that isn't that wasn't raised in that environment and they don't understand that and so we need as Christians to constantly be a student of the culture whether it's America or whether it's Zimbabwe or whether it's France or wherever else we need to understand the language we need to understand the culture we need to understand how people think about certain things we need to be students of the culture now not so that we can take some of the culture's practices, especially those that are sinful, and incorporate those, no, that's prohibited. In fact, I would say that's prohibited in Deuteronomy 14, verses 1 and 2, the general principle. But we are to be students of the culture so that we can speak the unchanging gospel into that culture in very relevant ways so that the, they can hear and understand and believe if God is working on their heart and if they so choose. Um, so whenever I look at verses 1 and 2, I, essentially what I see is God saying, don't learn from the pagan uh, culture of how it is that you are to live. In fact, one of the things that I see in American Christendom right now is this just this insatiable desire to be liked by the world and to create a culture within the church where instead of it being grace, and that's good, 
it's it's instead it goes it goes beyond that to something that is horrible and it's one of tolerance and it's one of non-judgmentalism and it's one where someone who is in sin can feel perfectly safe and someone in the culture who has sin and is tolerating sin can actually enjoy their time there because they're not being convicted um we need to be so so careful of that uh, whenever I look, once again, I just need to tie this up. Deuteronomy 14, 1 and 2, whenever I see that, that's a prohibition of us taking practices from the world for our own personal benefit to try to look and mimic the world, to try to act like them. That's that's prohibited. But we are still to be um, students of the culture so that we can speak the word of God into that culture. Okay, so verses 3 through 21, we've read this before about the clean and unclean foods. Once again, this is not applicable to us. This was strictly for the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were told what they could eat, what they could not eat, what animals were clean, what animals were unclean. But just one of the instances uh, where it is clear that these laws of the dietary laws, these laws are done away with. We read in Mark 7, 18 and 19, uh, where it says, Jesus said, he said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And then Mark says, well, Jesus just said, don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile them? Foods cannot defile you. And so Mark gives the commentary at the end of Mark 7, 19, Mark gives the commentary. He said this, thus he, Jesus, declared all foods clean. And so in the New Testament, all foods are clean. We, we're not under the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Now, you can be if you so choose, but it's not a law for you. It's, it's a preference for you. Uh, we also read uh, in the book of Acts when Peter was in um, uh, up on the roof, and I believe it was in Joppa, uh, and he had the vision of the blanket coming down of all sorts of unclean animals, and the Lord said, kill and eat. Well, one of the things that Peter understood that to mean is that there are no unclean foods now, and so we're not under the Old Testament dietary law. Verses 22 through 29, we read about tithing. We read about tithing. And some would say, well, you know what? That's an Old Testament law that we're not under that. And uh, yet I would, I would disagree. I would disagree because tithing is actually pre-law. Tithing is actually pre-law. The law was given in Exodus 20. But if you go all the way back to Abraham, which is, uh, I mean, the Israelites were in uh, slavery for 400 years and uh, then you still have, you know, the, the couple hundred years from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then Jacob with all of his 12 sons that go off, and then the 400 years begins. So you've got well over 400 years, and it was after the 400 years, uh, uh, within the year after the 400 years, that the law was given. So you're talking about at least 500 years before the law was given, 
we have Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, where it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to the God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. Here it is. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So this is 500 years or so before the law was given, 500 years before Abraham, or it was Abram at that time, gave a tenth, gave a tithe of everything he had to Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem. And if you write down Hebrews chapter 7 and go back and read that, you realize that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. He was not Jesus, but he was a type of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews points this out. And he pointed out that, uh, that Abraham gave a tenth of everything to Jesus. And this was before the law. And so tithing, even though it was in the Old Testament, was a part of the law. It was how the Levites would be provided for. But it was actually pre-law. And therefore, I believe that it's still in existence. Tithe is still tithing, giving a tenth to the Lord, uh, to the Lord for the benefit of ministry and those that are in need. Uh, our 10% at least is our gift to the Lord. Um, and it's something, like I said, that was pre-law. Therefore, I believe it's still in existence. We are still obligated, but are encouraged to do it cheerfully in the New Testament. Okay, so Deuteronomy 15, this is a fairly uh, easy chapter to understand. It, it divides itself into three parts. Verses 1 through 11, the cancellation of debts. Uh, we realize that in the Israelite uh, society, every single debt was to be canceled every seventh year. Now, that wasn't seven years from the time you gave a loan. It was, it was set, and everybody in Israel knew what se the seventh year would be. And so um, they, uh, they were to cancel debts. That way it would work to keep people from being indebted endlessly to others. Every seventh year, debts were canceled. And in fact... Um, knowing the sinful human heart, uh, the Lord through Moses even addressed in this, in this uh, instruction that if you are well-to-do and someone who is poor comes to you and asks for a loan, you aren't to consider that, oh my goodness, this is the sixth year. Next year, I'm going to have all, all debts are canceled. And so you refuse to give him a loan. You refuse to help out your poor brother. Um, that once again, it's just pointing out the sinfulness of the human heart to kind of work the system. And so the Lord was saying, don't take advantage of that, that if somebody genuinely has a need and you have the ability to meet that need, then you do it. Uh, in fact, we read that in the New Testament, tell those that are rich in this world to share generously to those that are in need. Uh, we don't do it out of obligation. We do it because of love. Um, 
And so ideally there were to be no poor, but there would always be poor. And so those that were better off would, would, would step in to help those that were needy. This is also something we read about in the book of Acts where uh, Barnabas sold his property and, and brought the proceeds to the apostles, laid it at their feet to be dispersed so that the poor that were in the congregations there in Jerusalem and beyond would uh, be able to have some funds to help them uh, to live. The, the widows, the, the fatherless, those without a job that could not get a job. And so even in the New Testament, uh, this the, the same principle carries on that we are to watch out for each other. In verses 12 through 18, we see the freeing of servants or indentured servants really every seven years. Uh, and the only instance where this would not happen was if the indentured Hebrew indentured servant said, you know what? I really love being your indentured servant. I don't want myself to go free. I'm going to be your indentured servant for life. That would have to be their call. They could easily get out if if they did not like the situation um, and uh, their debt had been paid off every seventh year. Indentured servants were let go. They were free. Um, the only way that they would be an indentured servant for life was if they so chose. And uh, so even in the system where there were indentured servants, uh, there was a very compelling uh, motivation for those who were the masters to make life uh easy and enjoyable for those that were serving them because if they did the reward would be that those people would want to serve them for life and so even in the slave master the indentured servant master relationship uh, there were, were not the abuses that we read about in um pre-Civil War era here in the United States with the whole institution of slavery. Uh, that was not what we're talking about in the Old Testament. Also in verses 19 through 23, every firstborn animal belongs to the Lord. The only reason why that would not happen is because if something was wrong with that firstborn animal, uh, this doesn't apply to us directly because we don't sacrifice animals to the Lord. It's, it's, it's not only... Uh, unbiblical in the New Testament. It's immoral and it's also illegal <laughs> uh, to do this. Um, but we don't do this because the final and ultimate Lamb of God has been sacrificed. Jesus was the final and ultimate firstborn from the dead uh, that, uh, that died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now there is no more need for sacrifices. In fact, uh, there was no more need for a temple. Uh, when Jesus uh, rose from the dead, there was no more need for that Jerusalem temple. And in fact, in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman, came in and decimated the temple. Not one stone is left upon another. And so there was no need for it. And so even as we read in the Old Testament about the law of the firstborn animals and there was to be no defect, we realize that that ultimately was pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God without defect, with without sin, dying for the sins of every single person who will trust in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and once again we thank you that you are all over the Old Testament. Even though your name is not there, there are constantly road signs that point to you. 
We thank you, Lord, that even as we looked at Deuteronomy 15 and the canceling of debts and the freeing of slaves and the firstborn, ultimately, Lord, we realize that because you, the firstborn from the dead, you, the only begotten of the Father, because you were the, that sacrificial animal, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that our debt was canceled. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but we gladly uh, stand before you and desire to be marked so that we can be your servant, your slave for the rest of our life and for eternity because of the joy that we have in you. So really, Lord, Deuteronomy 15 points to wonderful, beautiful New Testament truths. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to seek to understand your word and to delight in your word, to see wonderful things in it, to see ultimately to see you, to see spiritual truths that can enable us to enjoy our time in your word so that we can apply these truths, that we can be transformed in the renewing of our minds so that our actions would be much more in tune with godliness and holiness so that when we are called through death's door, whether it's the rapture or whether you call us through individually at, a, at the time of our death, that when we are perfected in your presence, Lord, I pray that we will have made so much progress in this life toward holiness that there's not gonna be a big change when we're perfected. But this is only possible as you and the power of your Holy Spirit enable us to do this. But this is our desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of another episode, and I hope you've enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'm looking forward to spending time with you again tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.